You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Monday the 15th. No, the 6th. Oh, fuck. Oh, my oh, goodness. Oh, God. <laughs> you have to leave that in after what you just said. Yeah, I, I leave it in my fuck-ups all the time. It is the 16th <laughs> of July. We are without Joe. He's got an emergency at work. But everybody else is here, so we are going to have some fun. Now, that being said, it was a ridiculously slow news week. For gaming, so we don't have a ton to cover, but we're going to touch on a few things that we have in the past, having learned a little bit more. And for Vince, Gloomhaven again. So why don't we start with uh, just going to talk about it every week? Just well, pencil me in. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It's a slow <laughs> week. It's on you to take care of the the, the filler stuff. Then, uh, so yeah, like I was listening last week to to your 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 description of the game. I did check how much it costs. Mm-hmm. which is a substantial investment. Now, I can appreciate that what you were saying in terms of there being a lot of content and that it's going to last you a while. The concern that I would have, uh, because again, as expensive it is, is as it as it was for you to buy, well, as expensive as it was for Allie to buy, <laughs> tack on... A lot for the currency exchange right now for us. So it's just ridiculous for me to consider this. And as I think about it, though, it's not rationalizing because I think, you know what, though? And and you can correct me here, as I'm sure you will. But the impression that I get is that even though, yes, there's a lot of replayability through different campaigns and, and different things like that, I still kind of feel that maybe... There'd be some boredom because of the familiarity still with the setting. You know what I mean? I, I, It'd be like an MMO that you get tired of going into all the time, despite the fact that there's still a ton of stuff that you could do in it. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's kind of worries you at all looking forward or if you're thinking, no, this is going to keep me occupied for a bloody long time. I, I It'll keep me occupied long enough for me to feel it was a good investment. Like, yeah, of course, you're going to reach a point where you're like, OK, I've done everything. I mean, that's when, you know, expansions, of course, come into the the, the, the scenario. But I, when I just look, especially comparing it to other tabletop games, like I was talking about some on Twitter today, like uh, the closest analogy I can make is to a game called Descent, which is actually a really cool game. It's very similar to what Gloomhaven does, but it's more uh, like, it's a little more like episode to episode, not really the overarching story. Like, yeah, your characters can continue forward, but it's more mechanical focused than narrative focused and you can get like the basic core version of descent. It's like 75 bucks, but still. Yeah. That was how much when I was at the Gen Con where it debuted and it sold out in about an hour, maybe two and mm-hmm. people were selling it. It was so it sold for 75 bucks at the con then. And then people were selling multiple copies. You were like, it was like a limit of three, but you could buy one still shrink wrapped. For like three hundred dollars from some jerk that was selling it, 
but yeah. if it's still $75, oh my god. Like the the other players in my D&D group, they are the ones that first turned me on to Descent, and that's what kind of led me to Gloomhaven because <laughs> they had they have the base game, three of the major expansions and I think two of the smaller expansions. So all told, they've put more money into that game than they have into Gloomhaven. And now that they've started playing Gloomhaven, they're like, we're never playing Descent again. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, or like, you know, other, there's, like, there's definitely a big market right now for the premium tabletop experience with, you know, these large games with incredibly elaborate worlds, rules, uh, figures, what have you, like the Dark Souls game we talked about when they was first announced. Gorgeous game, amazing miniatures, but... For $130, you compare that price tag to the Gloomhaven price tag. You're paying for the statues is what you're doing, which, I mean, that's fine. Or um, like the Star Wars games, Imperial Assault, you know, the basic Imperial Assault. I think that's around $75 to $90. And yeah, because it has a lot of plastic in it, and it's very similar to Descent in as far as like its structure. Like, yeah, it's a campaign, but again, it's more just a string of missions than than an overarching narrative with characters and, and all that sort of stuff. So Looking at what I have with Gloomhaven and what we've put into it, yes, there will be a point, but comparing it to other tabletop games, it's a, it's, it's a non-factor for me. But even comparing it to like a, a video game, like, you know, it's a little more than two full-price video games. I'll play this longer than I played God of War and, you know, probably Spider-Man, like, you know, taking Monster Hunter, I had the equation because that game is just eternal. So, like, or like an MMO, like you said, Roger, you know, 150 bucks, that's 10 months of an MMO subscription. I think I can get probably the same amount of personal enjoyment out of this as I would out of that same investment. So, yes, I am absolutely not arguing the price tag is a daunting thing. And I'm not telling everybody, like, no, you should buy it because everybody's personal finances are different. And what they they feel is worth their money is, is different from person to person. But for, for us, it, it it feels like it was a good investment. Especially because $150 is still kind of cheap. Uh, it, well, it's the, $171, actually. At least yeah, that's well, what it is on uh, Amazon. Yeah, it's because the, the print run is still, like, catching up to demand. So it's it's from third-party sellers that are kind of boosting the price a bit because they can. Yeah, see, I'm looking at it with the currency exchange and taxes. Forget about shipping, even. I'm already over 250 I, I cannot imagine what shipping costs on that thing must be. Oh, like even even if it's a place that says free shipping, they're just going to charge you more because that box weighs a ton and it's huge. Yeah. All right. So why don't you get into it and give us your thoughts now that you've played a little bit? Yeah. So after cracking open the box and punching out what must have been, I think, 15 sheets of cardboard <laughs> worth of stuff, <laughs> I had to go to the store and buy more sandwich bags and rubber bands because I just didn't have enough. <laughs> There's ungodly amounts of cards and figures and tokens and whatnot but i i'm the kind of person that i kind of like i kind of like shit like that you know it's the reason i build you know tiny robot models because i like dealing with little fiddly bits and and stuff like that i'm actually very happy that i spent an additional 80 dollars on an organizer for the game (laughs) wait wait what (laughs) yeah yeah That, that was my contribution to the purchase but it's really nice. It's actually made out of stained wood. <laughs> no, it's stained wood. It has like gold filigree accents. Like it's really nice. And it it's so stupid how excited I am for this thing to come in so that I can A build it and then B put everything inside of it. Like it's it's just 
like we were talking about with the bookshelves, it just scratches an itch for me. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, there's so much stuff. <laughs> I spent, I think, an hour and a half one day punching everything out, organizing it. And then the box was sitting there and I was looking at it. And like in my mind, I was like, I think I can organize it better. And then pulling everything out and reorganizing it again. Jesus Christ. <laughs> There's medication for that, buddy. <laughs> Only for that very same night to pull it all out again, because that's when we played it for the first time. Jesus Christ. Seriously, <laughs> next time you tell me you don't have time to do something, motherfucker, I'm bringing this up. <laughs> you know, fair. <laughs> Perfectly fair. <laughs> so... Yeah, we have like a six-foot folding table that we were playing this game on, and it occupied all of it. <laughs> but it was really cool, like, you know, starting off with, like, the flavor text. Like, it's not in-depth. It's not like having a DM there reading their their fantastic world backstory, but it's enough to get you into it. Yeah, you're in Gloomhaven. You're in some shitty town. But this is where you can make a living because you're kind of a poor asshole as well. Like, um, there might be some slight spoilers here for anybody that cares about that sort of stuff. I'll be talking about the first mission and the the first six not even the first six but some of the first six playable classes i picked a character known as the Cragheart. they're essentially like this earth elemental species uh, kind of akin to genasi from DD, if you will and reading the flavor text on the back of my little character card it gave so much depth in a couple of paragraphs uh how you know these creatures are attuned to the land and the elements and like they have like these beating gem hearts inside their rocky frames that allow them to to channel the elements. They're kind of like the airbenders. Well, you know, the firebenders, waterbenders, whatever. That you know earthbenders. Well, no, they can attune to other elements. Like there's one element oh, they can okay. specialize in. Yes, their bodies are made out of rock. They have a natural connection to the earth, but they can channel the other elements as well. But if a member of the species is not able to attain mastery over an element, they're essentially exiled. And they become what's known as a crag heart because they literally have their chest caved in and the beating, like, elemental heart taken out of them. They're still alive. They just don't have the attunement to the elements anymore. So, like, right there, I'm like, this guy's tragic as hell. Yeah, of course he ended up in this awful town taking mercenary work because what the hell else is he going to do? Uh, and then uh, Alicia picked uh, the Spellweaver. It's uh, a species known as the Orchids. They're like crystalline sort of they're very similar to the crag hearts which is actually funny that we just both kind of picked those not knowing that before going in uh you know there's she's a spell caster so she channels fire and ice and all kinds of stuff and we went into the first uh mission where it's just like yeah some woman on the street hires you to go chase down bandits that stole from her and you, you go chase down the bandits and you immediately fucked up <laughs> <laughs> because in my mind like i'm a big rock person the first thing my mind went to was shale from dragon age so i'm like okay i'm gonna run in there and start beating things up so i play my first turn i literally jump into the fray do like a ground slam aoe and a bunch of enemies I'm like let's go and then i'm trying to plan out my second turn and i'm looking and i was like huh all these cards are ranged attacks <laughs> Yeah, my character's actually a ranged AoE specialist, not a melee fighter. So things did not go well. I ended up dying in the second room, uh, whereas uh, Alicia was able to finish off the second room, but then ran out of cards, and we had to accept our first adventure as a failure. 
So, Dude, but when you were talking about that on Twitter, I thought you meant somebody else did that stupid shit, not that you did it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, that's a Sir Reginald move if I've ever heard it. I did not expect that you did it though. That's phenomenal though. Everybody has has a mistake. It happens. I thought you were gonna say everybody has their Sir Reginald moments. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think that's accurate. Uh, that's that's a you thing. Let's agree to disagree. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with Roger. Everybody's got a Sir Reginald moment. Sometimes you pull it out, though. Sometimes you just get eaten by the thing in the swamp. <laughs> but the, uh, was it last night? Yeah, last night we gave it a second try. Went in, same characters, kind of uh, reshuffled our decks a little bit because the you have a hand limit in the game. And if you just use all the level one cards, which is, of course, typically all you would have access to, you have your hand limit. But there's also some like additional cards. They're like level zero cards that you can mix in and mix out. But the game says, hey, first time playing, just use the level one cards because the level zero cards are a little more complicated mechanically. So shuffled a few of those in, changed up our tactics, learned how to play, and we actually made it through the second scenario. It was not easy, though. <laughs> we kind of burned ourselves out in the first room because our planned tactics just didn't go right and we got our asses kicked, but... Pushed through into the second room. Uh, this time, Alicia ended up running out of cards, and I had to carry on into the third room by myself. But I was able to, like, kite the enemies around <laughs> and use my AoE moves to finish them off. We were, like, cheering at the table, like, oh, my God, we're doing this. Uh, defeat all the enemies, finish the scenario. But we're going to have to go back because there's a treasure chest we didn't get to. <laughs> Hold and on, I like thought that it was random, though. No, no, the, the actual, like, scenarios are pre-planned out. Oh, okay. There, there is an option for random dungeons. That, that is a thing that you can do. So you could essentially kind of min-max for an encounter knowing what's in it so that you can, like, 100% achievement kind of thing. For yeah, now, now that we know what's in there, like, because, you know, the book tells you what's in there, but, you know, we're trying to be good players and not, like, looking ahead and seeing, like, okay, we know there's seven enemies in the next room, so let's be prepared for that. Technically, you're not supposed to know what's in the next room until you open the door to the next room. So, but now that we know what's in that next room and like how to plan it out, because what's cool is like when you're looking at the scenario sheet that tells you how to set up the map for that particular mission, and it says, okay, there's a treasure chest here. It's treasure chest number seven. That's all it says. Once you finally loot that treasure chest, you have to flip to the back of the book to find out what's in treasure chest number seven. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you can't even just like look at it and figure it out. Like there's, there's a lot of really subtle things it does to if the players are not being jerks, uh, still be surprised as they're playing through, which I like. And it gives us an it gives us an excuse to go back. That's now another mission we can do. Even though we've already done it, there's a reason to go back and do it because we can earn more gold, earn more experience, and find out what's in that treasure chest. Dude, it's rerunning dungeons in WoW to get the outfit that you want or something like that. That's your, that's exactly yeah. what it yeah. is. Pretty much, yeah. Now, let me ask you this now, though. If you... And again, following the rules, not to be jerks or to mm -hmm. whatever. If you are doing that, you go in and you get the chest, and then you, whether you finish the dungeon or not, you go in the next time, can you get that same chest again? Is it always going to be there? If there is a special, like, specified loot in the chest, like if it's one of those numbered chests, you can only loot it once. Okay. Well, it makes sense. Because just... typically they're, like, you know, things to advance the campaign. You know, extra items for right. the shop. 
You know, you, you don't get anything, but you unlock stuff that you can then obtain la at a later point. So it doesn't make sense to unlock something twice. So you're not farming essentially the same dungeons. You kind of right. are, but only until you've gotten what you want in the first time. That's that. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, you can keep going back for money and experience, but you're better off just doing new content and getting the quest rewards because you can only get the quest, quest reward once per dungeon. Right. Okay, cool. So, yeah, and like... You know, when you're in town, we drew a, a, like a random encounter card for the town, and we had to discuss amongst the two of us which of the options we were going to choose. And there's positives and negatives for everything. Same thing. There was a, a an encounter on the road where we you had to make another decision. It, it keeps things fresh, and like, it, it, <laughs> and it, we were just okay. so hyped. Like we're looking at the clock. Like we have time to do the second mission now. Like we just unlocked it. Like okay, we we were learning how to play the game. We're getting into it because finding out like the bandits are working for necromancers. Like I, I want to see what's in that second dungeon, the second level of the dungeon now. <laughs> but it was like already almost ten o'clock. Okay, back up. Um, when you were talking about you were presented with choices and whatnot, I know you're mm -hmm. trying not to spoil, but this is fairly early on, and we've already given spoiler warnings. I'm curious, what kind of choices were you actually given, and how much of a consequence was there choosing one versus the other? Okay, so. The town event we were given, and again, spoiler warning for anybody listening, was that um, essentially the town was under attack on the walls. So we had the option of either going to help defend the walls or use the fact that the guards were distracted to our own advantage. Ard, have you found most of the choices are that binary? Uh, we've only drawn a couple of cards so far, so I couldn't tell you. Okay. <laughs> but... Um, and what's actually cool is it, it kind of does that Bioware thing where some of your choices, like you can get better effects if you're a certain class or have right. certain stats. Where like, you know, in Knights of the Steel Republic, like, oh yeah, I, you know, I have the, the technology skill level five, so I can, you know, just hack this robot and get him to let me through the door. Like there's a lot of stuff like that too, which is cool. Okay, cool. So uh, I flipped it over and... I was talked out of robbing the shops, so no looting, <laughs> no looting for me, because um, my like, the actual personal quest for my character is um, to obtain like two pieces of equipment for every slot. So I'm like, oh, looting! I can make another step on my my uh, my personal quest, so I can eventually retire that character and unlock a new class. <laughs> But, so uh, when you're playing with someone, you have to play as a party. One can't go and defend the wall and the other one loot? Uh, with those decisions, yeah, it has to be a decision as a party. Okay. Because you actually have a party character sheet in addition to your individual character sheets. Are there so, circumstances where you can branch off? I have not Don't encountered that yet. Okay. Again, there's a lot of things in this game that... You know, just A, haven't gotten to yet, and B, like, I don't even know what's in some of these things. There's, like, sealed boxes and envelopes and shit that you're not allowed to look at until you reach certain points. <laughs> so um, if we had gone to loot, uh, we would have, you know, essentially gotten a free item and then lost reputation if our reputation was above a certain point, which it wasn't. So it just it would have been a free item for us. Because since we're nobodies, you know, if you have reputation, people expect you to defend the town. We didn't have reputation yet, so we there was nothing expected of us. <laughs> so it's it's a nice give and take. Um, but like the reputation thing system in the game is a thing. Like again, it's like light side, dark side, uh, where it's like shop discounts and whatnot, and uh, 
certain if your reputation is at certain levels that will affect some of your choices later on like oh yeah i i choose to do this and like okay if you do this again i don't know the exact things i'm just kind of extrapolating upon information i already have like yeah if you if you make this choice this is your consequence but if you make this choice and have level 10 reputation then you also get this thing hmm, so like there's that. a there's a whole system for that but instead what happened we went to defend the walls uh we each gained five xp which is actually pretty damn great for the fact that we hadn't actually done anything yet <laughs> a levels a level one character before they set on their adventure earning xp and the the prosperity level for the town went up by one because we helped the town not get raised uh and that, that's another thing the town Jesus has a prosperity Christ. level <laughs> yeah uh, where <laughs> once it reaches certain tiers of prosperity, you unlock new stuff in the shops. So um, cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's quests involved with raising the prosperity as well as every time you retire a character, the town's prosperity goes up because now there's a seasoned adventurer just living in the town. The, overall, the health and well-being of the town is better. <laughs> so there's there's some cool stuff there. And then our road encounter was uh, we found like a wounded soldier bleeding out in the bush. And I was like, oh, can you spare a potion? And I was like, well, neither one of us has a healing potion. That's how I justified this. <laughs> so there's nothing we can do to help. We had potions. Some of them were healing potion. The game doesn't care if they're healing potions or not. It just wants a potion. But going into our first encounter, I did not want us to be down. You know, we each had two items, a potion and a piece of equipment. I didn't want us to essentially be at down 25% of our inventory. So we ended up uh, just leaving him there to bleed out, <laughs> which wow. uh, lowered our party reputation by a point. <laughs> but the, the, on that same side, like if we had helped him, there was no positive effect. We just lost a potion for that, for that uh, next <laughs> dungeon. Well, basically what it means is that you were paying a potion to re to keep your, your, mm -hmm. your point. So. Right. That's all that is. I mean, it's not like you're losing the potion, just you would not have had access to it in that next dungeon. Yeah, essentially, like, potions you can use once per dungeon. You never lose them, but you can only use them once. Yeah, but what I'm saying is Before you have that... to, like, go back to town and it recharges. Right, but the 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 point of the encounter was you're mm -hmm. losing something. You're either going to yes. lose a point or a potion you decide. That That's how it's, it tend like, the the instructions kind of frame it. Most of your city encounters are going to be positive, and most of your road encounters are going to have potential negative outcomes. Right. Yeah, putting probably like five hours of actual game time into the game and just seeing how the various systems work, learning all the rules, learning the tactics, because it is super tactical. Like, I talk about it as if it's an RPG because it has so many great RPG elements. But when you get down into the nuts and bolts, it is a straight-up tactical grid combat game, which combined with a deck-building card mechanic, which is very satisfying to me on pretty much every level possible. So looking at what you've done so far and kind of guessing the endpoint of, of say, this quest line you're doing now kind mm -hmm. of thing, how many hours are you figuring it's going to take to complete it all? Uh, there's 90-some quests in the game, so even if you one-shot all of them, you're looking at about an hour per quest. Now, granted, you won't do every single quest based on storylines and choices and random draws and whatnot, but even if you do 75% of it, that's still a pretty significant investment. Yeah, it is. 
That's that's very cool. It's mm-hmm. pff, sounds amazing. I I have been singing its praises to anyone who will listen. Like I'll be at work and just like I can't get this game off my mind. Like I am I'm into this. <laughs> Are you always using the same characters for yourself until you retire them, like you said? Uh, if you wish, you can always just, like, box up a character and roll another one. But, I mean, you're losing all the advancements you've put into that one character. Right. But, I mean, you know, if you find out, like, hey, this group composition isn't working. At, at one point last night, we were like, okay, maybe we want to rethink our characters before I pulled a win out of my ass. And we're like, okay, well, now we have to stick with these guys. <laughs> See, the thing that I'm thinking about is... Kind of like what you were saying, if you were playing it by yourself Mm -hmm. and you're playing your your guy, Frank, okay? Now you level up Frank a little bit because you do stuff by yourself and then Ali wants to play. Now if you take Frank, what's going to happen? Are you, because you've already done some of the quests, is that going to affect it because she hasn't? What about the level disparity, disparity if there is some and things like that? I mean, the, the encounters kind of balance to your level. Like, each creature in the game has a level from 0 to 8, and there's ways to, like, calculate, like, the proper level for a dungeon as far as enemy strength, trap damage, you know, amount of gold earned per coin you pick up, that sort of stuff. I mean, it it would be more... Really, the only thing you gain when you level up as a character is you gain more hit points, which is, like, a couple. It's not a lot. (laughs) My character starts with 10. I think at level two, I go up to 12. So it's not a significant increase. Oh, that's, yeah. Every time you level up, you can add one card to your deck, but your hand limit doesn't change. So essentially, you have to put in one new card to take out an old card. But now you have access to higher level skills. For the most part, from what I've seen, just like kind of thumbing through my deck, the higher level skills aren't necessarily stronger. They just give you more tactical options. Like, longer range or like different AOE or status effects. And then um, there's a combat modifier deck. So every time you play an attack, you flip a card out of this deck and it can be, you know, plus damage, minus damage, crits, misses, you know, that sort of stuff. Just like as if you were rolling dice in D&D essentially. And uh, you can pick a perk at every level that'll allow you to kind of shuffle that deck around, take out some negative cards, add in some positive cards, Uh, there's what's known as like rolling modifiers where like, you know, I'll get a rolling stun. So I just keep flipping until I get to something that's not a rolling. And like all of the the status effects that I got on those rolling cards will all be applied to that attack. So you don't really get stronger as you level up. You just get better. Kind of like that. That makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. It also, I mean, of course, like, yeah, a level nine card on average is going to deal more damage than a level one card but we're talking like two points of damage difference. Right. But there is definitely a lot to be said of, like, you know, I could just be bored at home one day and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to roll up a couple extra characters and go into a random dungeon, level them up a bit because I can. Exactly. See, I was thinking about it too, like not thinking of it in terms of I'll pick it up because again, way too expensive. But if Mm -hmm. I had a kind of thing here, well, I could see Tristan playing it with his buddies kind of thing that he does D&D with, just take it over and do some messing around. Well, then his character would get more leveled up. So to take it in with ours, if we do stuff together here, then 
you don't want him just to be able to face roll through everything, but then you also don't want the encounters tuned to his level because right. then you're completely useless. But if it's just that he has more tactical advantages, then that's perfectly fine. You still feel like you're part mm-hmm. of the same team kind of thing. And, and let's say let's say him and his buddies are like going through the game. They've completed like 20, 30 missions, whatever. And like you want to play with him one afternoon. You have access to everything they've unlocked because you're now playing in the same world. Oh. The downside is, like I said, you only get the quest rewards once, but you can still do all the stuff. Like anything they've unlocked to buy in town, you have access to. Any of the character classes they've unlocked through their quest lines, you have access to. Like it's hard to advance the story with multiple parties just because of the way the systems are set up and like the branching storylines. It's it's like it's like Star Wars: The Old Republic. Like yeah, there's branching storylines, but they're kind of not part of the game world it's your own individual thing (laughs) but uh, the overall world you would have access to everything that they've unlocked for you essentially that's pretty awesome yeah all right was there anything else uh i think that about wraps it up check in next week for more (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually really excited to see what you're going to do with it and like i i think that like this game the setting in the hands of like writers like roger you might like generate yourself some neat little uh, story hooks and plots for your own stuff. So I, I, I will say I'm this. Looking forward to it. I've been looking into painting sets because I'm attached to this little character now. And he has a mini, <laughs> but he's gray and I don't like that. It's oh, too man. bad you don't know somebody who's damn good at that stuff. Well, but, here, but I can't like send my character to Joe for a couple weeks and then have it come back. And then, you know, again, there's characters. I don't know what they are. I don't want to open the boxes to send them to Joe. <laughs> it's not like, Joe, I unlocked a new character. Here's another. Here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By the time you send him like the third or fourth, he's pissed off at you. And it comes back like it's wearing boxers with hearts <laughs> on it and stuff. <laughs> All right, let's move away from there. Marty, you have been playing uh, Vermintide too. How have you been liking it? I have, and I dig it. Um, I have been a fan of the Warhammer universes, more 40K than Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, but outside of that one THQ uh, Space Marine game, which was phenomenal and I loved playing, um, I haven't really, there haven't been that many uh, Warhammer universe games I've gotten my teeth into. But Vermintide 2 is on the Xbox Game Pass. So I've been playing it, got about two, three hours in. Um, so mechanically speaking, it's not as nice as Destiny or even as ReCore, which is another game I've been playing. Uh, it feels a little bit slow. And at first, I thought it was just because of, you know, uh, when you start the game, you play, I was, I don't know if it was randomly selected or if, like, everybody plays Marcus when they play, who is this, you know, fighter with a big hammer uh, that you recover. Uh, it was slow. The controls didn't feel that responsive. The, the dodging mechanic wasn't too intuitive. Um, it, it was fine. It was fun. Uh, but the uh, inter-party banter, the lore from the game world, and uh, just the detail of the entire setting makes up for the deficits within the gameplay itself. Uh, so basically, Vermintide 2 is a, a continuation of the uh, Vermintide series where the basically the Warhammer fantasy world is going to end and uh, canonically speaking, Warhammer Fantasy, the universe ended and then it was reconstituted by gods because 
Marvel isn't the only people that do the the you know the hard reboot of their universe. Uh, you can play one of five different characters. Each character has three classes that you can unlock. Um, I've grown attached to the Witch Hunter because he has a brace of like flintlock pistols that you can just rapid fire, and uh, I have found that to be incredibly fun. Um, but there's also a Dwarven Slayer. Uh, and for those of you who have played Warhammer games before, I you know, know that, that is. You know what that is? Yeah. <laughs> Dwarves with mohawks that go around killing all the things. That is something that definitely speaks my language. Uh, I do really like. Uh, although you can't tell from the two uh, For the Lore RPG casts, I, I tend to play when I'm learning a system like a straight up warrior or its ranger equivalent to get the a f- a feel for the lore and for the system. So I am enjoying the shit out of this. Uh, what's great about it is that it has some a very common uh, modern gaming techniques. Like there's a bounty system where you have to do like unlock an achievement or kill three epic bad guys. Um, right now, the bad guys are rat men known as the Skaven. Uh, Bonus trivia, Karen Gillan, a writer extraordinaire of both Star Wars, Wicked and Divine, X-Men, and Iron Man, he is a Skaven tabletop miniature player, and he is allegedly very good at them. He also, I believe, paints his minis, but I, you know, that's a little bit of a digression. Uh, But you're killing the Skaven. There are chaos warriors who are really hard to kill. Um, And what's also interesting is that armor on enemies, you have to be precise or use bludgeoning weapons to get through the armor before you really take them down, uh, which is which is interesting. You know, normally it's just like you, they're just bullet sponges, but this makes a bit of a mechanical difference, and I find that, you know, I find that to be fun. Uh, what else about this game? There is a crafting system that is uh, items that you don't use, you disenchant, and then you get to put it into like almost a Herodric cube, a la Diablo, uh, to build something new. Uh, and your model changes with whatever weapon you're using, or it unlocks uh, for a later, uh, for lack of a better term, subclass that you can use to, you know, kill bad guys and kill things for the emperor. So it's a it's a fun game. It's not as slick or as polished as Destiny Two, uh, but the the just gobs of lore and history and the banter that goes on. Uh, makes this game super fun. Like you just leave two characters standing next to each other for a couple of minutes and they'll have a little conversation. Um, The AI is aware also of like who is in the lead uh, in the right direction to finish a particular quest. So for example, my buddy Will was ahead of me by a couple of steps and his character was like, you know, uh, the entrance is this way, let's go. Uh, And other bits of flavor text that seem to be cool. So it's it's an absolutely fun game, and like for the, if you're just playing it with a game pass, uh, I can't imagine it being like it's a it's a good use of a couple hours. Awesome, but that's as long as you figure you're going to be playing it. No, um, I think uh, because we're going to use this to fill in for like some of our to scratch the D and D itch while Will is on deadline. We'll probably play a lot more Vermintide, and I I I like it enough to play it solo. Um, as long as I get my, uh, the problem is like, uh, I've got some destiny stuff that I want to accomplish, but I can do that solo. And if Will's online, if my buddies are online, 
I'll play Vermintide with them. Um, it is a game that you can play solo, but uh, for me these days, I prefer the multiplayer game just because it's the most efficient way for me to virtually have a beer with friends that live across the country. So Yeah, yeah. Cool. How are you finding the uh, the Game Pass? I I was actually looking at it just the other day and looking through them because at some point I probably will do the same thing and join it because again I don't think it's excessively expensive for what you're getting. I don't. Th- I think if I play uh, a couple hours of Vermintide and then maybe even 45 minutes of a different game, I it's paid for itself. Um, like I mentioned briefly, I was playing Recore and I haven't had a chance to go jump back into it. But ReCore feels like the Xbox version of Horizon Zero Dawn, but maybe not as epic. Um, but that game was is fun and fluid, and there's a lot of stuff going on puzzle-wise. But uh, I don't know much other than like the mechanics of the game, and it's it's a lot of fun to play. Um, but like that, and like I've got Wasteland Two, the director's cut, and Wasteland is uh, a game from the '80s that inspired it basically inspired fallout and i have been wanting to play that original commodore slash apple 2e game for forever 25 years later director's cut of the the sequel is out and it's a it's a hell of a of a squad based post apocalyptic rpg which uh you know we like those sorts of things uh, so, so yeah game pass is awesome yeah, yeah, there were a number of games that I was looking at and thinking, yeah, okay, like I, I've got a few games that I need to get through right now, but at the right time I'll do it. Especially for me too, and it has nothing to do with the podcast, but again, I like racing games. But it's hard to justify, you know, 80 bucks for the newest Forza just because it has a little bit better, better weather or a little bit better steering or a little bit better something. When, if that's... If that's a, the only one that you've gotten for, for a few years, then yeah, bonus. You're going to really love it. But if you're following each iteration, it's way too much money to spend for for what you're getting. But if it's included right. in the past, which I noticed some of the Forza stuff is, then it's like, well, fuck, I don't even care because it's it's. I'm paying, I'm paying for it. So I, I can try each one as they come out. And because they're Microsoft, it's always going to be released immediately for the game pass as well. So I, I kind of really, yeah. really like that a lot. I, I might even get into sea of thieves, like with them when their uh, X packs come out, just because it's all going to be on game pass. And like, I paid 10 bucks for it and I can play as much as I want. Okay. I mean, this is like, um, again, Netflix for games. It's a beautiful model exactly. that seems to work. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So let's go back to Destiny Two, Forsaken. We got some news. What do you got to say for it? Oh my God! Explain yourself. Yeah, Marty. <laughs> right. <laughs> Justify your love for this shit game, uh, and and the justification is very simple. I love the gameplay. I love the questing aspect. Um, for uh, Forsaken, the Destiny Two real expansion is going to change up a lot of stuff. Uh, we've already talked about some of the mechanic stuff about being able to put basically whatever gone in any slot that you want. Um, but recently what has come out is more information about the scorn um, and uh, details about the nine new supers that are being released. Uh, and I think it's basically every class, every subclass is getting a new path. So, for example, the Arc Strider, which is the hunter that's, that does the lightning stuff, 
their new path will be called the arc of the way of the current and it's basically it lets you uh use your arc staff like a shield uh and you can do this pretty cool uppercut uh punch that you have to slide slide into it and then you punch and then your your staff comes out and you clock some dude and you can start to possibly juggle them is what's being said but i haven't seen gameplay of that um there's actually now uh warlocks will have a debt not yeah i guess say a dedicated support role with the new um path of mercy for the uh dawn blade where if you plunge, you, you activate your super, you actually plunge that fire sword into the ground and it creates this huge rift that is empowering, it speeds up all of your abilities, you get some healing and an overshield, and it, it's got a longer range than other rifts. Um, even the, the Warlock is getting some cool abilities, like the Stormcaller Warlock. Uh, as you kill, kill bad guys, uh, Leyline energy is generated, and you can, it's like little... Uh, like little motes of light that you can pick up that recharges your abilities. And you can, um, with the original Stormcaller button, you run around and you're shooting lightning bolts like Darth Sidious all around the map. The new one is you just get one giant lightning bolt that you can actually turn off. So you can control how much, and if you stop, you get super energy back. So that's really cool. Uh, the, uh, the Titan, uh, I do have to talk about the Sunbreaker Titan uh, because the Sunbreaker Titan, if you played Destiny 1, you had the giant flaming axe in Rise of Iron, which is probably the most fun part of that game. Uh, and so basically now you've got a giant flaming hammer, and your melee ability, you throw the hammer, it hits somebody in the skull, basically, and it lands, bounces off and lands on the ground. You can pick it back up and throw it again. And as long as you can just cycle that throw and pick up, you can keep doing that full melee attack. So you're kind of like a low-rent Thor um, with more space magic than, you know, Asgardian power. So there are a ton more, like uh, the Way of the Wraith, which is the new path for hunters in the uh, Shadow Bolt class. Uh, you ditch the bow, and you have two katanas, and you can just dance in and out of stealth, and you get True Sight which lets you look through walls, basically. Uh, and Golden Gun gets is replaced by, uh, oh gosh, the Path of Knives or the Path of a Thousand Cuts, where you, instead of having this precision Golden Gun, you have throwing knives that are on fire that blow up things. Um, it's the, What they're doing is they're adding more ways so that everybody's getting a new way to play. Uh, I think you have to select a new... Uh, path to activate the particular changes to your super, but it's not entirely clear from either the gameplay videos or Game Informer's uh, articles on that. From from what I understand, yeah, it's it's a third path, which kind of bugs me because that's probably like personally my biggest mechanical problem with Destiny Two is the lack of character customization. Like in Destiny One, we could pick you know which skills we wanted and this and that, whereas Destiny Two, it's column a or column b and that kind of defines everything about your character like it's why i was getting tired of playing my titan like i loved my my sentinel or defender sentinel yeah my sentinel titan because you know awesome captain america shield and right. i loved path of the aggressor for like the grenade recharge and the extra shield throws but i hated the melee ability i never used it 
<laughs> Whereas I loved the melee ability from the, the Path of the Defender, but hated everything else about the tree because it was the Defender bubble, which was great in Destiny 1, but pretty worthless in Destiny 2 because it didn't have any of the buffs. It was a yeah. <laughs> pretty worthless. So tying these in with just being another tree where, hey, you get this really cool super, but you might get stuck with some other abilities you don't like. Like it, it, it's the one like really personally frustrating thing about the design that they haven't addressed. Like, yeah, okay, we messed up the the weapons. We're changing this. Okay, you know, exotics, uh, retuning this, retuning that. They haven't mentioned anything about their pretty unimpressive and not very fun skill system. Yeah, I expect Destiny Three if. It actually comes out, right, <laughs> to actually address that. I, I've got to be honest. I feel like at this point in the game cycle, they're not going to... Oh, I'm sure it's a mechanical thing that would be unfeasible to to just patch in a change for it, but... But I have to agree. I mean, like, I... So I I play uh, an Arkstrider majority of the time, and I've been in the same... If I'm in the way of the warrior path, I'm fine. I can, you know, I can hold my own and do some pretty cool stuff. When I have to switch to the other path, it's I just it's not as much the game is not as much fun for me. Uh, I and they talk about it a little bit on the vid docs about how they want people to like own this identity and own this style. The problem is like for the the meta for some of the aspects of the gameplay, like uh, the way of the warrior never gets like do X Y and Z as a way of the warrior like. You can't, there's, uh, but the other path, which is like, I don't know, way of the dude that is not as cool as the way of the warrior, where you've got to run around and you hit somebody and they're disoriented. That, uh, that quest line of like, hit, kill 10 dudes to unlock this uh, milestone uh, doesn't occur for the other path, you know? So it's like, this path has, has gameplay and mechanical elements to it, but the way of the warrior is by far more fun at least for me. So I, I hear you. My, my frustration is there, but I, I'm so excited just to see like what they're, how this, this path is going to work out. And I hope that they continue to learn maybe in the uh, first two expansions of uh, Forsaken, we're going to get into some major uh, changes to the way the skill tree works. I have not seen many people, on the Destiny Reddit's and in the Destiny, I don't go to the Bungie.net forum because um, I met I like myself too much and I don't want to uh, subject myself to that kind of abuse. Um, but I have not seen a lot of people complaining about a lack of customization. But I think that's an understood complaint by everybody. Like you want to be able to customize this character, especially considering that one of the complaints about lack of customization is your guardian doesn't talk anymore, which blows. Um, and that should be fixed post-haste. But we also got a huge info dump on who are the Scorn, uh, the Forsaken, who have been reconstituted and uh, reanimated multiple times in the Prison of Elders uh, to the point where they are no longer Forsaken and they are a new race. And they showcased, like, these skittering dregs that are basically, like, uh, a cross between explody thralls and dregs and spiders. And they have this really fluid and unnatural uh, animation as they you know, pop up from the ground and skitter towards you and explode. Um, 
They've got a, a heavier melee class that have these weird torches, uh, like torch flails almost. And that is the new precision so shot for them. So if you blow up their torches, their torch flails, they explode. Uh, there was a huge discussion of the barons and who they are. Uh, so it's basically like a, an inverse of the Magnificent Seven. They're the really like deplorable eight, I guess. Uh, and you're going to go hunt them down after they kill Cade because it's not a spoiler. Everyone knows if you've been following this game, Cade Six buys the farm. Uh, Vince and I also discovered, though, that Cade Six was not voiced by Nathan Fillion in this expansion is voiced by Nolan North, who's also the voice of your ghost. Um, it was confirmed today, both on Game Informer and I saw the thread on Reddit. Vince, where did you see it? Um, just on a, on a, on a forum I was browsing. So, yeah. So um, wait, it's, it's Nolan North doing Nathan Filio or as himself as a ghost just in Kate's body? It's Nate. It's uh, Nate, uh, Nolan North pretending to be Nathan Fillion as oh, Cade Six. So it's Nolan's Cade Six impersonation, which is Nolan's, you know, Nathan <laughs> Fillion impersonation. Busy lately. Yeah, like that fan film of the of Uncharted, which I'll watch. So it's fifteen minutes long. It's not going to be a chunk of time. Oh, I'd be more than willing to put in that much a uh, lot more time um i'm just saying like don't like worry about having to set aside like oh i gotta i gotta watch this fan film it, it's 15 minutes okay we're spending way too much time on this film <laughs> <laughs> well it's not 15 minutes but you know anyway the scorn um we don't know so they're all in the prison of elders right and the prison of elders has like a transmat thing like your ship does when instead of landing you just beam out so that's part of how the reanimation works however uh, the lore is pointing to a new fallen house called the house of dusk and they're experimenting with weird hive apocrypha which might be a tie-in uh like why we fight nocris and um the will and Zer zol will of thousands is because the these fallen discover the hive ability to resurrect the dead. Uh, that's just a fan theory. We don't know. Bungie is going to reveal that um, because the, the the fallen had this tendency to like play and experiment and to do weird stuff. Uh, it's been established long before Rise of Iron that they would do that they uh, were very technologically advanced and uh, you know pretty canny on how to hack stuff together and if you subscribe to the notion that magic is just a form of technology you haven't unlocked yet it goes to reason that eventually the fallen possibly could do something like that um and again but again that's all fan theory we don't know what they mean by reanimated um or resurrected because the, those are terms that are both used in describing the scorn and those are terms that are also used in describing the big bads in the Warmind expansion and their ability to, uh, the, the reason why they're kicked out of uh, Hive school is because instead of like feeding their light and letting the strong survive, they're resurrecting the dead and cheating. So it's very fascinating and we haven't gotten a lot into that yet. Um, 
there was also a little bit more about uh, the Dreaming City uh, and how um, it will continue to change. It's basically on a three-week cycle, depending on what is unlocked by the Raiders. Uh, but uh, it will be the end game zone. It is a public zone, and there will be more stuff going on. But they're still uh, the Game Informer um, extravaganza has not released more about that yet. But we do know that like the raid will take place there, and that's all we know so far. But the, and one last thing, uh, if you watch the gameplay video, you hear um, the fanatic, who's the leader of the scorn. And the spider, who is the uh, fallen, who has allied themselves with the Awoken and with the last city, uh, and it talks about how they do their, um, what bounties the spider has out for you, as well as like why the spider is joining up with with the Awoken and uh, the last city. So, it there's a lot coming, and there's still just so much that we don't know, despite the September release date. That's implying that it's it'll be ready by September, or that it'll be you know. Doesn't matter if it's ready; it'll be out. It'll be out in September. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move away from there. Uh, just briefly, we got a little bit more about the Monster Hunter World crossover with Final Fantasy. When is that coming out exactly? Uh, August first. Right, that's right around the corner. Yeah, uh, right now they're doing their summer event quest, which is you know, not much content wise it's just like some like basically all the special events they've done over the past few months they're, like they're all active again because they were all you know time limited so anything you missed you can go back like they decorated the the gathering hall with some new outfits so you, it's just a fun little like a seasonal event in an mmo essentially yeah. but uh once that's over uh the next big patch is coming the crossover with final fantasy 14 by adding the behemoth into Monster Hunter World. And it's actually interesting. It's not going to be a limited time event. Behemoth is just going to always be uh, an encounter in this world now. Oh, that's nice. Mm -hmm. um, he's classified as an elder dragon. So he's not going to be uh, like a free roaming monster. You have to specifically go on a hunt for him, but he's still always going to be in the game. So there's no, no ticking clock on getting all of his loot. But uh, they did a stream yesterday the day before very recently uh where they actually showed off and it was fun funny because you had uh actual live gameplay from three of the the creators of monster hunter world and now Yoshida, the producer of final fantasy 14 joined them on stage to play nice. with them <laughs> and That's so they showed fun. yeah they showed off the behemoth and holy shit it looks impressive as hell it's a i mean of course its name is behemoth so you would expect it to be big but it's big by Monster Hunter standards. This thing is fucking gigantic. <laughs> uh, it's a uh, it's a one to four player content. Although they said you can do this solo, but this is one of those things that's very group recommended because they're actually taking MMO and Final Fantasy fourteen mechanics and bringing them into Monster Hunter specifically for this fight, beginning with actual aggro management. Uh, when you're playing Monster Ooh. Hunter World, the creatures, they'll they'll focus on a character for a little bit of time and then, you know, go mess with somebody else. They, they, they're kind of free roaming. They're beasts. They're monsters. They're just going to tear shit up. But with Behemoth, there's an actual... They, they put in an aggro mechanic into the game uh, by 
whoever is damaging the head of the creature, that's essentially your way of generating enmity. So if you have a, a tanky character smacking him in the face over and over again, it'll stay focused on them, leaving the rest of the party open to do DPS things, which is cool. But they went even farther. Like, yeah, it's not just, I mean, that would be easy as hell if it was just, you know, tank the bond, tank and spank, essentially. And that's not how Monster Hunter World works. So they're bringing in actual MMO fight mechanics to the game. Uh, throughout the encounter, uh, one of his attacks is Behemoth can, like, call down comets to crash into the battlefield and, like, do AoE damage. And it's important for the tank to keep Behemoth away from these things because as he's flailing around and slashing and gnawing and gorging and gouging, uh, he can break the rocks, which isn't that big of a deal until he enrages and activates his ultimate attack, Ecliptic Meteor, which is essentially a zone-wide AoE one-hit kill. And the only way to survive it is by hiding behind those comments that he called down. Huh. So, it is 100% an actual MMO boss fight mechanic that they programmed and put into the game for this crossover because Monster Hunter World does not play like that by any means. It, it's, all, it's always been about actually like learning the creature's attacks and dodging and just not being there. Like there, there are like one hit kill moves, but they're telegraphed and you can get out of range and stuff like that no actual like battlefield manipulation tactics like you would see in an MMO because uh, MMO, the, the, it's not typically action combat and you can be more mechanically focused. So it's really cool to see them bring a lot of that stuff in. That's actually damn impressive. That's yeah. Really <laughs> fucking cool. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, there's like some smaller little things like the, they changed some of the UI elements, of course, so you can see who has aggro. And it's exact. It's the exact same UI element from uh, Final Fantasy XIV of like the red line being drawn from the creature to the tank, and uh, like the damage numbers are a little different. Like they're more Final Fantasy styled than typical Monster Hunter styling. When you finish the fight, the the Final Fantasy victory fanfare actually plays. Is um, it da 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 da? That's the one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then just the other little crossover things uh, you can get. Uh, costume for your palico, your little cat companion to dress them up like a moogle. Uh, cactars are actually out in the world now, just like I wandering. Saw that. And if you know anything about Final Fantasy, you know not to fuck with cactars because they will just ruin your day. They're essentially going to be like living landmines out in the world where they can just wreck you as a player, but you could also use them to your advantage by drawing enemies to them. Um, they showed off some stuff with the Kula Yaku which is one of the, the smaller monsters you can hunt. Uh, it's essentially like a bird velociraptor looking thing. And when you find him, like he's a low level monster, uh, like he carries around a rock or an egg that he uses as like a shield and a weapon. Well, they showed him grabbing one of the famous crystals from Final Fantasy and like the crystal activates and he grows to a giant size. So that may, that, that might be like a limited time event quest that's going along with this. We don't know that specifically yet, but something's going on there. And of course, Monster Hunter, you got to get some new gear. The gear you can get from fighting Diablo, or Diablo, goodness, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> Behemoth. Uh, I got it, really excited for half a second. Like, they're going to do a Blizzard crossover too? <laughs> Holy shit! Well, there's already there's already a big, angry, horned creature in Monster Hunter World called Diablos, and I was getting them mixed up. <laughs> but uh, yes, the, the gear you can get for fighting Behemoth 
will craft into the iconic Dragoon armor set from Final Fantasy, complete with a special version of the Insect Glaive uh, that looks like the the Gaibolg, uh spear that's, you know, the, the iconic Dragoon spear. And it's really cool that they did it for Insect Glaive, because Insect Glaive is literally the weapon where you can pole vault off the ground, just like Dragoons can use their jump attacks. The way they've always implemented, like, these special things not just visually, but mechanically, has been pretty, pretty damn cool. It's and attention to detail. It's yeah. really impressive. And again, it's free. Like, this is free content. Like, they could have just done a Final Fantasy crossover, dropped a monster in there, you know, done a typical armor set and been done with it, but they're showing effort, and it continues to be a, a very impressive product that they're putting out. I'm so looking forward to eventually playing it on PC. And and this makes me happy because the fact that it's not going away, it will definitely make its way to the PC version, and then mm -hmm. I'll be able to do whenever. That is fucking awesome. I, I haven't looked too much into it. I know some people were not very impressed by like what they were talking about with the PC, because I think the PC version comes out August, what, like 5th or 6th or something? Yeah, very soon, yeah. And like with the specs and the like the graphics and all that, like... People weren't too happy about it from a technical point of view, but also the fact that it's not going to launch with any of the new content that's been added uh, to the P to the console versions. Like, and with they said it, all that stuff will be added later, but with no like due date yet. Which it'll, I, I it'll think be added. I can understand to a point because if you have new people to the game, you don't want to be putting like extra content that's in a lot of ways harder than the content that's always in the game already in the game you kind of want to give people a chance to acclimate before you add that stuff in but i just know a lot of people were a little upset capcom's announcement of the pc what the what's the deal with why are people upset with the hardware requirements i uh, i again i i didn't look too much into it because i don't intend on playing it on pc but uh it just that they the were too high or it, it's pretty high to the to the point where they're like it, if the requirements are this high, it should at least look better. Oh, then, I see what you mean. Yeah, like the, it's it's essentially not utilizing the hardware to improve upon the existing graphics of the. Game. Okay, yeah, because like what I'd read, the 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 specs weren't that big a deal. Yeah, the the recommended and what if you want to get a higher level, clearly you're you're going to need a better system. But even those specs, it was I think it was a 1050, it wasn't even a 1080, and and. In, so it was like, okay, well, whatever. And apparently, if it's a lower level system, it's going to run at 30 frames per second and a higher mm -hmm. at 60. So again, it's kind of trying to throttle it so that a lot of different configurations can can use it and get a decent. I mean, it, it. I, it's entirely possible. Just everything I was reading is typical gamer whining. Yeah, I'd but, be curious uh, if it does look good or not, though, because that's, yeah. that's pretty important. Well, we'll find out. August 9th is the release date. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, that is going to call it a wrap for tonight. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can find us on Twitter at ForTheLore. Individually, Joe is LoaderZJ, Vince is Simodian, and Marty is Officer Gleason. And you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, too, to leave us some comments. And with that, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. Standing up and talking back. My daddy was a green eyed Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe.
And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. 